a daily planner, uh, being more intentional um, about our day. Uh, we can be casual about some things in life and not give much thought to it, but if we're not careful, or unfortunately that bleeds into our walk with God, where it's just kind of an afterthought, we just kind of do something for God. I mean, yes, we want to do things for God, spontaneous, in the Spirit, etc., but there's some things that we should give to God ahead of time, saying, God, this is where I'm going to meet you at this time, at this place. This is how our house is going to be conducted. This is how we are going to live for you. So I think there's some things that we definitely can do better at, and I want to be that person. And when you read Psalm 101, uh, we've been just kind of mentioning how it is um, a perfect outline, in my opinion, of something to lay out your day, of things that you're going to do, things that you plan to do, things that you intend to do. And not just intention. Intentions are nice, but executing what you intend to do. And so we uh, have went through the psalm, and now we're going back through it again with some applications of what we need to put in place. And last week, we talked about the verses, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, when Jesus cast out the spirit, that unclean spirit that was in a man. And it says when an unclean spirit comes out of somebody, it seeks place and find, uh, to, uh, seeks to find rest and finds none, and it will return to where it was cast out. And if what was removed is not replaced, it will return. And so we have to replace. I thank God that he can liberate us from drugs, from alcohol, from lying, from cheating, from lust, whatever it is. And that's fantastic. But if we don't replace what was removed, it will return and it will return sevenfold worse. That was the end result. And if you're here and you have any uh, past history of addiction, you know that to be true. Where you can be clean for a week, you can be clean for a month, you can be clean even for a year. But if you don't replace what you remove, when it comes back, your relapse is so vehement. It's so passionate, so intense. It's, it's just a heavy binge. And we're, we're believing that God is able not only to deliver us, but to keep us. He's able to keep that which is concerning us. And so Psalm 101, we start talking about, uh, as David mentioned, I will sing of mercy and judgment to thee, O Lord. I'll sing about planning some intentional uh, change of music and media. And if, if, if I'm not going to rehash the whole thing from last week, but, you know, if you are listening to non-Christian music, that is uh, a non-wise decision. Let's just put it that way. Uh, because you are what you eat. And when you're, when you're feeding your ears things that are basically contrary to godliness, when you're listening to songs about affairs, you're listening to songs about fornication, you're listening to songs with cussing, you're listening to songs with perversion, you're listening to songs about anti-authority, you're listening to songs about drugs and alcohol, uh, even though you're not thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this so I can channel that spirit. No, I, that's not our foremost thought, but they're just subtle things that get planted in us. And in a moment of weakness, it will rise, it will come, and we will have that struggle. So uh, if you do not listen to Christian music throughout the day, you need to do that. You need to do that because when you, if you usually listen to music on the way to work, you know, make sure you're listening to things that magnify God, that are about edifying self, improving self in their, our relationship with the Lord. And it's going to help you. I promise you, it will help you. And if, if you're anything like me and you're listening to music down the road, you know, you have those moments where like the music's playing, but all of a sudden like something connects. 
And all of a sudden, there's, there's, there's the tears, there's the snot, and you're just kind of shaking. And, and people driving by you look at like, man, that person's having a midlife crisis. Uh, but, like, I'm actually having the time of my life in my car just weeping in the presence of God, praying and talking to him. It's one of the greatest things you can do. Um, we talk about verse 2, about our planned behavior, about how we're going to uh, make sure we're intentional about our behavior. And a change of behavior is one of the most difficult things to do, whether it has to do with morality or just a pure habit itself, whether it's sin or righteousness. Any change of behavior is going to be extremely difficult. And especially if, you know, now you're, you're trying to give God a 100 and you're trying to get your family all into it as well. It, it's, it's a tough ship to turn. It's a tough it's a tough way to try to get everybody on board, especially if, you know, your kid's been living a particular way for, say, 10 years, for 15 years. The later, the, the harder, really, it is. And so that's why it's important that the younger they are, we instill things instantaneously, right away, because we want to raise up a generation as unto the Lord. And I may mention this last week, and I'll, I'll say it again. If, if, if you're in, in that that path where you're trying to change a culture in your home to a kingdom culture and your kids are bucking the system and they're old enough to understand you know like there's clear change going on i don't like it and there's a fight about it you know you got you got to ask god for his grace and mercy and his presence to be in the home to help overcome and win the battle but this is what i learned is is when you as a parent that has been the one that's leading the way, you're the one that came out of sin, you came out of addiction, you came out of struggle, you came out of whatever, sit and have that conversation with your children to help them understand. If they're fighting, if they're fighting this, just say, hey, I want to just have a one-on-one discussion with you. Your mom, your mom and I, your, your dad and I, we want to talk to you. I know there's a lot of change going on in the home, but this is why things are changing. This is why things are different. I'll never forget when my mom began to share the story with me when, you know, she used to be in a gang and she was married to one of the gang leaders. And when uh, uh, he, he got wasted or high or both probably, and he just started beating her. He just started pounding my mom. And as, as he was beating her, my mom just covered her stomach instead of the face that he was hitting because she was trying to protect the baby. And when my mom shared that story, it gave me a completely different view about the gang lifestyle that, you know, is, is epitomized or heralded as something to be desired in, in Southside Chicago. And so it is like when you can just have that conversation with your children and say, look, you know, God, I, the reason why we're changing some of these parameters in our home and these, these things that we're doing in our home is because we don't want to be bound by these things. It's how I was raised, and this is the direction I went, and these are some of the things I was addicted to. These are some of the things I was bound to. And I promise you, if you have a heartfelt conversation with your child about your testimony, they will look at you differently, and they will have respect as to why. They may still not like it. They still may not be 100% compliant, but at least they'll know. They'll know why. What is the heartbeat of what is going on, the change in our home? And so your testimony is very, very powerful. And then... Um, I want to read from a portion of Scripture, and we're going to ease our way back into Psalm. And it's found in 2 King chapter 4, verse 8. And um, as I'm talking kind of about the parents and the children and the change of home, uh, environment in the home, this, this Scripture was just quickened to me. And it's going to be a little longer read, but we'll get through it here. It says, It fell on a day Elisha, he's the prophet of God, passes through Shunem. And there is a great woman, and she constrains him. So the prophet of God walked by. 
this, this lady recognizes something about him, something about this man of God. There's something in his life that is to be desired that I want. And not the man himself, but what the man was about. And so she begins to bring him to the home. And her husband is there. In verse 9, it says that after they fed him, she says to her husband, Behold now, I perceive this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let us. So it's important. You see in verse 9, is is this this scene's going on. The prophet of God comes into their home. And if, if there's something you want from God, feed that. And that's what she's feeding. She's feeding the prophet of God. That's what I want. So that's what I'm going to feed. Whatever you want from God, you should be feeding that. You should have more of that. You should keep that alive and active in your home. But she has the conversation with her husband. It's not like just me wanting to live for God. Let's do this together. We both need to recognize this is a holy man of God. This is something we want to feed. This is something we want in our home. And so the husband and the wife come into agreement And she says, let's make a little chamber. Let's make a place. Let's make a habitat uh, in our home. And we will set it there for him, a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it will be when he comes to us, he will turn in thither. Basically, remember we've been talking about creating an environment that God wants to live in, that God wants to abide in. We have that opportunity as parents, as uh, if you're not a parent, if you're just, you know, you in your home and or just husband, wife and the kids have already moved out. You still have the ability to create whatever environment you want. And this husband and wife said, let's let's be intentional. Let's plan. Let's prepare and let's build. So when that prophet comes by. He'll want to stay here. He has a place to stay here. They created the environment. They put the time, the planning, the work, the effort, the finance, and it pays off. Because we begin to read here in the scripture in verse uh, 11 that there fell on a day he came and he turns in the chamber and he's resting there. He makes his abode there. And he says to his servant, Elisha says to Gehazi, talk to this lady and I want you to ask her. Uh, to come here and I want to have a discussion with her in verse 13 he says to her behold you have been careful for us with all this care what do you want done for you when you feed the thing of God that you desire when you feed that relationship with your God you feed the holy things of God God will come back to you and say what would you like what is it you want in your home what is it that you want in your life So many times, you know, we bring what we want to God or, you know, like our needs, our situation, our circumstance. But for God to turn the conversation, let me know what you want. You've done so much to let me feel good here, to let let, let me feel like this is an abode. This is a place I can stay at. What is it that you want? And we go on reading here in this verse, basically what ends up happening, finds out she does not have any children. Her husband is old. And he calls her, and she stands in the door. And in verse 16, he says, okay, about this time, at this season, this time of your life, you're going to embrace a son. You're going to have a child. She's just rocked, like, out of her mind. Like, how on earth is this possible? I I don't think this is going to happen. Don't tease me. Don't mess with me. And so the woman, though, conceives, has a son at the season that the man of God said was going to happen at that time of life. Now, so you already begin to see the benefits of being intentional, 
making your house a house of prayer, making your home a holy, sacred abode that God wants to visit, God wants to be, and then God blesses you with some miracle that you thought you could never have. You never imagined holding that miracle child, but now you're holding that baby. Why? Because they made the effort, not just to admire the man of God walking by, but what can we do to have that in our house? I don't want to just be in awe of God's presence when I go to a church. I don't want to just be in awe of God's presence when I hear a preacher preach. I want that very presence that I feel in that moment in my home in my marriage, in my family, in my life. That's what I desire. Because whatever you feel that you like here or whatever, you know, uh, event you've ever been at where you just had whatever the most intense, saturated presence of God, that very presence you can have in your home. You got to get determined and say, I will. I'm going to sing of mercy and judgment. I'm going to plan my day. I will behave myself wisely. I will make this place holy. And all of a sudden, God gives them a blessing, a child. But God doesn't only just give blessing, God gives protection. Because we go on reading in this story, the child grows up. And on a certain day, as the child is working, uh, he runs to his father, and, he, and his head's just pounding him. And he falls, and the father carries the child to the mother. And in verse 20, the child is set before the mother dead. The miracle is dead. The blessing is dead. The child is dead. And so what does she do? She lays him on the bed of the man of God. They still had that place in their home that was sanctioned for the things of God. And they placed their child right there. This is, this is where everything's going to be all right in the presence of God. What we intentionally made for the Lord and his work. And she lays that dead child on that bed. And they begin to reach out to find the man of God. And Elisha comes to the house. The child is dead. He lays upon his bed and he goes in there. He shuts the door and he begins to pray and talk to God. And as he goes up, he lays upon the child. And this is an an interesting image that his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. He stretches himself over the child. And all of a sudden, The flesh of the child wax warm. And all of a sudden, the child returns, walks to and fro, gets up, stretches, or he gets up, he stretches himself, and the child sneezes seven times. The child opens his eyes, and he is now alive. God is not only able to ask you what you want and bless you with that miracle, he can protect the very thing that he gave you. He can protect, not not just bless in the moment, but down the road. If you keep God at the center, God will protect it. If you give it as unto the Lord, you commit it to God, you you, uh, dedicate it to God. And all of a sudden, we see this scene, and I I, I believe there's uh, an application that we can see that is powerful with the child and the man of God. That there was an alignment with the child, with the man of God. It was eye to eye. It was mouth to mouth. It was, it was this hand to hand. If we can get our children lined up with the same vision of the church, in hand with the church, lined up, synch- uh, synchronized with the church, your child, no matter what the situation, can come back to life. Your child will be okay. The best thing you can do, no matter how dead of a situation your child looks, Get them in line with church. 
Get them calibrated with church. Let the vision of the church be the vision of the child. Let the hand of the church be the hand of the child. Let the words of the church be the words of your child. If we can have an alignment, there can be a resurrection in a dead situation. I, I, I pray that my children never backslide. But if I can keep them aligned as long as possible, God forbid they ever walk away. But I believe that we've let them see eye to eye and mouth to mouth and hand to hand where they can come back because the spirit of the Lord can still work mighty upon them. Someone say amen. So verse three, we go on here in Psalm 101. The next thing about setting no wicked thing before my eyes. The other week we talked about plan purity and we were focusing upon media. And remember, media is a medium, you know, that 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 channel you you're watching is channeling you're literally channeling it is it is a conduit is a feed from one end to the other and so anytime we are in front of media whether it is your tablet whether it is your phone whether it is you know your your earbuds whatever that you're listening to it is a medium it is a channel and something is flowing through that medium something is flowing through that channel nothing is neutral though it may seem neutral it's leaning one direction or the other that program is programming. It's called that for a reason. And so what we need to do, not just for our children, but I, I know I'm making a lot of emphasis on children because we have a lot of young families here. But it, it applies to those that have no children, that live alone. And that is device control. We have to learn to bring this under subjection. We've got to learn to get this under control. Instead of being under its control, we need to get it under control. Because it's, it's, if you've ever walked in a crowd of people, and I see it frequently because, you know, at the airport, you know, it's just basically you're walking through a tunnel of humanity. And, like, you just look at everyone. Just everyone's got the hunchback of iPhone. And they're all just hunched over, just looking the entire time. It's, it, it, sometimes I feel like, you know, just kind of recording it. Just, like, everyone's just, like, walking around like zombies, drooling, just staring at their screen the entire time. Not just from one gate to the other, but why they're sitting at that gate, why they get in the plane, while they're in the plane, why they get out. The entire time. And I'm not even exaggerating a bit. And it's not just airport. It's all over. Everywhere you go. You go to to any establishment. And I, I, I can remember back in the day, not that like back in the day was perfect either. Their human behavior is human behavior. But I believe that this device has only magnified the problems with behavior. It has a lot of benefit, but I look at this kind of device as a net negative. Overall, when you do you can crunch all the numbers, it produces a loss, not a profit, not a benefit. There's a lot of benefits to it, but it results in a net negative. But the point is, you know, you go to a restaurant back in the day. I mean, it just seems almost as if there was better service. And maybe I'm just speaking to an isolated situation in Watertown, South Dakota, not the best food service in all the world. Um, but it's not just Watertown, South Dakota. It is anywhere you go. It's just like the employees, if you get a glimpse in the kitchen The food is on the tray ready to go, and there's just people sitting on their phone in the back. Or you go to the cash register, and someone's just sitting there on their, you know, playing on their phone, and you're like right there in front of them. They see you, but they got to finish whatever it is that they're doing because it's so critical, it's so important, it's so urgent. Am I the only one that sees that? It's it's literally everywhere you go, people are constantly on a device, and so. When I'm talking about children, it's more than children. 
And children are just repeating behavior that they watch. So they're watching a parent do the same thing. And they want the very thing that the parent has, that the parent is bound by. And so, anyways, uh, in regards to device control, if you have a child and they have a device, you need to be the one that knows the password to that device. Not the child. Not the child. You need to know. Now, it's up to you when you think they're old enough to have that device themselves in their teen years or whatever. But at the same time, you need to know that password. So anytime you can grab that phone and access it. And they, and they, if they ever change that password, that's when you remove it, you cut off. So stop paying for their addiction. Stop being an enabler and set a line. Say, no, 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 no. I, I know you may not like this, but I, I've asked you to give me the phone. I've asked you not to do this. I asked you not to spend this much time on it. And you are basically disobeying every request that I've made. You're basically plowing over everything that I've set before you as a safeguard. Therefore, I'm just going to draw the line here and you have no device whatsoever. You are the parent. You're not designed to be the friend. You're designed to be the guardian of your home. Doesn't mean we're jerks to our kids. Doesn't mean we're militant. Doesn't mean we're insensitive. Doesn't mean we're careless and cold and callous. But there's some things we have to do to guard our children because they are not fully developed. They don't see three-dimensional as we see. And we as parents, we don't even see every angle either. You know, and, and, and we, we basically sometimes trust our kids because, you know, we're like, oh, what, what, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst can happen. That's really the truth. The worst can happen. And so we got to make sure that we are protecting the best way we can. The other thing is if you are married and you have a spouse, and that's what happens if you're married, you have a spouse. I'm just deep stuff here today. And so your spouse, you need to know the password of their device, and they need to know yours. If your spouse does not know the password to your device, that's dangerous. I mean, hashtag real talk, whatever you want to call it. But you need, you need, to, you need to say, hey, hey honey, I, I just for accountability, what's, what's the password to your phone? And vice versa. That way, anytime they want, they can grab that phone and check it. And if that spouse is snatching it from them and refusing that, that's, just a, that's a pretty strong warning sign. That's a pretty strong warning sign. doesn't mean you, you quit, you give up, and you panic, but you definitely need to pray. You need to put that into your understanding that there's something going on here that we need to make sure that this is a house of the holy, and here's an area that we need to work on. This needs to be changed. If you do not have a filter and parental controls on the device for your child, you need to do that for your spouse as well. I think I mentioned this last week. Uh, I think I did. I, I just talked about, like, on all my devices, I have covenant eyes. And so my wife sees everywhere I go on the Internet. She knows everything I do on my phone, on my tablet, on my computer. Does it slow down my Internet and lag it? Yes, it does. But I'd rather it slow down my Internet than disrupt my marriage. I'd rather that have happened to me. And then all of a sudden, you know, now now I'm not even uh, stable to even be in the ministry. Now I got to be removed and exempt because I've fallen into something. I'd rather have a lagged connection than no real connection with God and my spouse and my children. And so if you do not have a filter on your device, you need to have that. Covenant eyes is is a fantastic. It's not perfect, but it is a great, great uh, device to have an accountability filter. If you are married. 
your spouse needs to be your accountability partner, and if you'd like someone else to. There's multiple people in this church that I am, uh, I, I get their, their report on a daily basis, and I see where they're at, and I ask them, how are you doing? What's going on? That's, that's accountability. I don't look at them as a pervert. I don't look at them as, man, what's wrong with you? I look at them as someone that says, you know what? This is a serious enough, serious enough situation that I want to be proactive. I want to be intentional because I will behave myself wisely. I will do this. Pastor, hold me accountable. You need to have your spouse hold you accountable. And if you need to have an outside source as well, you need to do that. And so another thing is I, uh, in having in your home that, that no wicked thing before your eyes, I would not let any child in your home go to bed with a device in their room. Remove that device from the room. There, there, that is such a dangerous portal to open. And I talked about some of those dangers of where, where uh, child trafficking, the two most common ways of child trafficking. One is uh, uh, sick, addicted, perverse uh, uh, parents that sell off their own children for money to feed their own uh, situations. And then there is the one where children are on the Internet and they basically come in contact with someone. They begin a discussion with them and they end up meeting that person. Then they're kidnapped and they're gone forever. You, you don't like the idea of your child talking to strangers in public. I mean, how would you feel if, if, you, if you were, I don't know, at the lake and you're going along the boardwalk and then you see your child, your sweet little 9-year-old, your sweet little 13-year-old, go talk to like a bunch of, you know, 30-year-old men, some 50-year-old men, you know, that are drinking, that are, you know, talking foul, and she's hanging out. How would you like that? You wouldn't like that. I hope not because there should be something inside of you. The parents say, no, 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 no. I love my child. I'm going to protect my child. But you know what? We do that all the time this way. We let our children talk to strangers on this. It's the same stranger. And it has just as much, it has more severe consequence than just that physical. Because the physical brings a sense of guard up. But when you feel that sense of anonymity and you feel that sense of safety because it's just you and the device and no one's around you, that's when you let your guard down and you begin to disclose things that you would never have disclosed publicly in person. And so we as parents, your child's not thinking that way, but we need to think that way. This is why. And so I explain to my children, you know, Dad, why can't I this? Why can't I do that? I say, this is why. This is the situation. Not everybody in this world is as wholesome as your mother. Not everyone in this world is as wholesome as the people you know in this church. I am a parent. I'm protecting you the best I know how, and I'm praying for you. And so this is how we do it in our house. And they may pitch a fit. But again, I'd rather have a child angry at me than a child that has been kidnapped or molested or falls into some perverse addiction outside. That is my job. I want to protect my home. Someone say amen. And so device removal, uh, you know, and, and when you begin to change content and when you begin to, to remove devices or whatever it is that you begin to implement. And again, I'm not, I can't force any of you to do that. I'm just giving you some strong recommendations of things that we have practiced in place in our life that we have found to work for us for the good and for the better. But Remember, if you don't replace what you remove, it will return. So what are you going to replace what you removed? And so uh, my children, uh, though we don't have a TV in our home and we don't watch uh, shows, we don't watch movies, my children still are in contact with media content. But it is strictly governed by parents. We decide what they watch. We permit them what they can and can't. Not just content, 
but time as well. And so uh, if these are just recommendations, you know, if you think they're, they're far-fetched, they're horrible, or they're too liberal, that's fine. You, you guard your home, you keep your home. But some simple things that we put in our home as replacements is we do something called Adventures in Odyssey. If you've never heard of Adventures in Odyssey, it's, it, it converted me. It changed me. I never heard of Adventures in Odyssey in my life. And all of a sudden, like, I remember going on a road trip with my wife, and she puts on this, I'm not even going to pretend to do the intro sound and all that stuff. Adventures in Odyssey, and these annoying little squeaky children are speaking on there. I'm like, oh, my goodness, Connie Kindle. Oh, I won't tell you how I feel about her. Anyways, she, that's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. I do not like her. Uh, I shouldn't say I erased that. But the, the point is, listening to the show, I'm just like, this is the most annoying thing in the world. And all of a sudden, the kids are quiet. And the family's quiet. And all of a sudden, the kids start talking. I'm like, shh, quiet. I find myself, I'm leaning in, and I'm listening, and I'm, I'm trying to follow the storyline. And Dr. Regis Blagger, those are my favorite ones when, you know, you got the storyline and all that stuff. But it's just listening to a, a, uh, a radio theater. It's just listening to someone enact it through audio. On It's the most amazing because your imagination is loose. And I, I remember being disappointed the first time I saw a, a CD cover of Adventures in Odyssey. Because when they showed Mr. Whitaker and they showed Regis just blaggard, like they were nothing like the picture in my mind. I was like, this artist got it all wrong. They messed it up. Regis blaggard is this big toad. And I don't know why I think of him as a big bullfrog, but that's what I, I, I see him as. And so that's the power of letting your mind get engaged instead of just letting all these images do all the work for you and you just sit there with drool coming out of your mouth and be entertained. But at the same time, we do let our kids watch content. A great thing that we found that we personally like is something called Superbook. It is a free app. It is a, a conservative Baptist group, and uh, it's, it's Bible stories. Not just that. There's Bible quizzing. There's, there's verses on there. There's, uh, there's trivia. There's games. It's, it's a pretty interactive app. And you can set settings on there where your child can't even open it without you op- you basically following the instructions on the screen of what to push, what to do, how long, and all that kind of stuff. And then which shows they can't watch because some are more intense because, you know, the more they, they talk about angels and demons and, and they show the devil, you know, like tempting somebody, all that kind of stuff. So there's some more aggressive, whatever you want to call imagery that you may not want your four-year-old to see, your five-year-old to see, whatever. But I found that you can... Let your children watch something that is productive, that is useful, that is teaching them the word and the truth. But I don't let Superbook be my substitute. I am the priest of the home. I teach the children. My wife teaches the children. We read the word to them every day. You cannot depend on Adventures and Odyssey and Superbook just to be a babysitter so you can do whatever else and hope that they're raising your children correct because I don't agree with every doctrinal principle that is brought forth in there. And so we teach our children about who Jesus really is, that there's, there's not three distinct separate eternal persons, but there is one God, and Jesus is his name. We take the time to say, hey, hey, no, this, this, this is right or this is wrong, etc. And so you got to have those conversations. And I like what my brother says. He says, look, whatever content program you find yourself watching or exposing yourself to or even reading if it breaks the Ten Commandments, remove it. When you, when you line the Ten Commandments up next to it, does it pass all ten? And if it doesn't pass all ten, at what point do you say, man, this is, this is, this is too far? 
Does it have to break all 10? I don't think it, you should wait till it breaks all 10 for you to say, you know, okay, okay, you know, but only if it breaks one. And the only one, you know, that you're worried about is, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to pick one. But the, the whole point is that we need to look at this is, this is God's verdict. This is God's way. This is my way. Does it align with him? Just like the man of God with that child. Do my eyes line up with his eyes? Do my eye, hands line up with his hands? Does, do my words and my mouth line up with God's word and God's mouth? I want content to align. But even with letting them watch selected content, you still need to limit it. They're not going to be the ones that set the limit. Like, they will choose to watch all day. And so my wife and I, we let them watch one time a week. If we're feeling real liberal and backslid, twice a week. And it's just like one, two, three episodes at the most. They're 20, 20 minutes long. And if it's the, the Adventures and Odyssey, the audio thing, we'll let them listen to the, the, the whole thing in that day, in that setting. But at the same time, I think I was talking with this at the, after service at Perkins with, um, I think it was Mike and Alejandra. Um, but in, in we were we were talking about basically content in in uh, the effects of watching and listening to media that you could have the kids listen watch you know Adventures in Odyssey Superbook whatever but there's still like a behavioral difference it's like they their 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 attention is different and their 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 respect is different. And that's why you can't just let that be your source of shutting your kid up and calming them down. Let me give them their Vicodin. Let me give them their Adventures and Odyssey. Let me give them their, their morphine. Let me, let me just silence this kid. You can't use a device as a numbing agent to offset a bad behavior because you're actually enabling them. They're actually training you as you're training them. It's amazing. This kid that at a table at a restaurant that is freaking out that is just writhing on the floor. I'm like, man, they must be choking. There must be a heart attack going on. And all of a sudden, the parent hands the pacifier, called a cell phone, and the writhing stops. The shaking and the slithering on the floor stops. Everything's okay now. What a miracle. We are training the kid, and the kid's also training us, saying, well, I know if I do this, my dad does that. I know if I do this, then I get this from that. You cannot give it. That may hurt your feelings. That may bother you because you may be currently doing it. I don't say it to be mean. I'm helping you to understand. You've got to see what's going on. And you can't give in to that. You've got to be the parent. I don't say this to brag, but we have fought many battles, you know, in the beginning stages. But we trained our children. Like, you will not find my kids with my phone on a table. You'll never find my kids grabbing and reaching for my phone. Never. Now watch, today you'll see them right, reach for it. Just like, hey, pastor, you lied. No. But I, I, I'm 99.9% I'm confident you will not see it. Because I train my children, do not touch my phone. That's not yours. Now, what's funny is the phones they do access from people in the church, even family members, are the people that gave them permission. Because my children know where they can and can't. Think about that. They got to know the buck stops here. Mom don't give an inch on this. Dad doesn't give an inch on this. This is where they stand. That's how we've got to be as individuals and say, look, this is not, this is not for you. This is not a toy. This is not a game, etc." So I only got about four minutes here. Man, I am not anywhere near where I wanted to be. Okay. After uh, a content 
removal and, and change. Also, remember, set guidelines of how often, how frequent. You don't want media to be the babysitter because you'll lose the competition. Like, media is so powerful. It is so powerful. And if they get more of that than more of you, you're losing a battle. They may love you, but you don't have as much influence. And so you cannot let media be the mediator. You can't let media be the predominant thing that your children are exposed to. Because they're already spending however many hours at school getting indoctrinated. And then how much are you going to let them be indoctrinated by media? And then you're going to give them 10 minutes and think that, what in the world's wrong with my kid, man? They need to listen to me. We, we, we just got to think some real questions here. What am I doing to fix this? Protect them outside the home as well, not just within the home. I know we're talking about our inner home, but you need to set some guidelines in the home so when they go out, they know how things go. So just some principles, some ways my wife and I have tried to guard our children is we don't let our children go into any home. Like our children know you don't just go into someone's home. You need permission. I need to know the parent. I'm going to talk to the parent. We need to know what's going on. There's very few people that our children go into their homes. Very few. Because most molestations, most exposures to perversion happens in someone else's homes. I'm not saying that you're, because your kid goes to someone else's home they're going to get molested, that they're going to get murdered or anything like that. But I'm talking about we need to guard our children. We need to be taking this very seriously. And so when I do meet the family, I let them know our guidelines. My son... He's, he's out in North Dakota visiting cousins, but I already established with him the guidelines. And I already talked to grandma and grandpa. When you're in that home, you tell them this is how my son's going to be, and you watch my son. You per- and so our son already knows in his own family's home, uh, cousins. He's at his uncles and cousins, and they all know my kid is not going to sit and watch TV. My kid is not going to watch movies. He's not going to be playing video games. He's going to do this weird thing called actual reality. I want him to have relationship with the cousins, not relationship with a digital device. I want him to treasure time with. The, and if they don't like that, then I'll keep my kid home. I mean, it's as simple as that. Like, I'm not going to worry about their feelings. I'm worried about my child. Their feelings don't matter. It, it doesn't matter. That sounds cold, but I love my child that much that I will protect my child to the nth degree. And so in a neighborhood, there's, there's uh, uh, two homes at, uh, a couple of years ago, these families moved, that we let our child go in that home. But we knew them for years. They lived by us. We talked to them. Interact, and I told them, and these were people that did not believe the same thing we believe at all. And so I said, look, if you want my child in your home, I don't want any TV on. I don't want them watching anything. It's nothing against you. But I, as a child, I was exposed to pornography at a young age. My wife was exposed to pornography at a young age. And I'm not saying you have porn in your home. All I'm saying is I don't want any image being presented in front of my child. And so will you, can, you, can you make sure that happens? And they said, yeah. And then after my child comes home, I ask all the questions. And they let me know. And they've told me well, the, the TV was on. We weren't watching. Well, all right, you're out. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so if a family doesn't have the same values or respect our values, my, my, my kids, they're going to be there. So there's a strange thing, like I said, called actual reality. It's, we got one minute. Man. Let me just say a couple things. Uh, a couple, uh, not just media, but you, you could do something called outdoor activities. You can use your imagination. If you have young kids, you could play with them. You could actually interact with your children. You could actually play board games with your children. You can go frisbee golf. You can fly kites. You could play basketball. You could do uh, card games. You could go bowling. There's so many things you could do with your child. But, I, like, when I hear people in Watertown say, well, there's nothing to do here, that's, that's because you're not actually considering things that could be done. 
Like our children are very active in the community, though our children are homeschooled. We have them signed up with many programs in the community where they meet and interact with other kids, and they're involved with other kids in other programs. You can find something. Let's stand together. It's a quarter tale. I know this is boring stuff, but I hope, I hope that we, we realize that we have a great task set before us. God gave you not just uh, you know, a child, but that child is a soul. That soul has a future, and that future has an eternity, and that eternity is heaven or hell. And I want to help steer my child on the straight and narrow. And I'm not a jerk about it. You, you, if, if you're hearing things you have never heard before that sound very cold, very militant, I promise you there is so much laughter in her home. My, my children love when, when my wife is on that couch, she opens a book, all three kids jump on that couch, and they listen to my wife read. When I open a book, and it's Bible, all the kids gather around, and I, I like to play act the voices of, of uh, reading through the Action Bible. I won't use any of my voices. I don't want to entertain you here today. Uh, but we have a good time. We laugh in our home. We have a good time in our home. And it's, you have that ability. Don't let some stranger have a greater influence than you on your children. Don't let some inanimate object have greater influence than you on your children or on your spouse. Because that's the next, that's the other thing is that device can lead to a divorce. Because all of a sudden you're separated from your spouse in the same room, but you're not there together. You're in the same home, but you're not in the same place. We have to make sure that we are engaged one with another. And if you're solo all by yourself, that device can still get you in trouble. And it could also distract you and detour you from God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for speaking to us and talking to us. We're trying to plan daily. We're trying to be intentional, God, not sloppy with this vessel you gave us called the temple of the Holy Ghost. I pray, Jesus, that we would bring you honor. We bring you glory. We bring you praise. We bring you worship. Let our life magnify you. And God, help us, anoint us, give us discerning of spirits, God, to know how to lead, to guide, to direct our home, our marriages, our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray your blessing, your angels, your protection upon the the saints of the most high.